If you would, please open your Bibles up to Matthew chapter 10. We'll be reading verses 27 through 34. Today, I'd like to talk about something that, that joins us to, to the church, to the church triumphant and the church militant, and that is creeds. And specifically, I want to talk about the biblical basis for creeds uh, this morning. And I hope that at the end of this, uh, you will have increased in confidence in the, in the legitimacy of creeds, and you will also be able to defend them in, in the marketplace and the broader evangelical community. So Matthew chapter 10, 27 through 34, and uh, we'll be focusing on verses 32 and 33, but I want to provide some context because we'll need that later. So let's read. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the light, and what you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. Let's pray. Father, your word is sufficient. It tells us what to do. It often even tells us why to do it. You are an excellent teacher. You desire the success and holiness of your disciples. We want to be good slaves of you. We don't want to waste our time with unvaluable things. Help us to be faithful to you. Grant us humility in ourselves. Grant us confidence in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I think you have all heard the phrase, or you will hear the phrase, no creed but Christ. It is quite common in broader evangelical circles. And in fact, the churches that I come from, we would probably have said that, if not actively, passively. Now, we oppose that phrase, of course, and, and as I'm going to hopefully demonstrate, we believe that creeds are, in fact, commanded from the Bible. So we, we can't agree with no creed but Christ, but... There is some truth to the intent behind it. And of course, no creed but Christ is a, is a creed in and of itself, which is sort of ironic. But, but I, I think that there are some things in there that we can agree with. There's some intents that are correct, even though the conclusion is not. The first is that they intend to uphold the simplicity of Christ. And this is a biblical concept. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech 
or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. So we see the simplicity of Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus Christ covers a lot of ground. Um, The person and the work of Jesus Christ is very comprehensive. But the gospel and the commands are simple at their core. So we would agree with that. Second, this phrase, no, no creed but Christ, I think is getting at the sufficiency and the superiority of Christ. I think that's part of the intent, and we can also agree with that. And we who are, are, are creedal would, would go to the Bible, probably Hebrews chapter 1 is a great place to go to find the superiority and the sufficiency of, of Christ. Third, I think those who say that, no, no creed but Christ, are actually speaking out against a dead religion of externalism only. And again, we, here we would say, amen. We don't want that. God has always put a higher priority on our loving devotion to Him than to our external observances. Even today, this is an external observance. But He wants us to love Him, to have faith in the doing of it. So we say amen to that. So rather than just flat out opposing that phrase, I think it's, and it is a wrong phrase, I think we can find some commonality in there and uphold those things that we agree with. But we don't want to stop there. We want to go to the Bible. The Bible is our source. And so we want to see what the Bible says about creeds. Philip Schaff in his work, The Creeds of Christendom, shows how the creeds have their impetus in the Bible itself. And so we'll be going through some of those verses that he says are the beginning of our creedal Christianity. The first one comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, a very familiar passage. And this phrase is going to be very familiar to you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now this, of course, is the Shema. And what it is affirming is monotheism. It's also affirming the second and third commandments. In the context of that, if we were to turn back to Deuteronomy 6, you know it pretty well. It's dealing with with the life of a faithful Jew. It's dealing with the instruction of our sons. It's dealing with how, how we walk along the way. And it's not something that they just say once. They say it often. They affirm it. Interestingly, Jesus repeated this creed. And you can find that in Mark chapter 12 if you want to. Now, so while this creed that we see in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy 6 is upholding the oneness of God, as Schaff points out, the Trinitarian statements of belief and those that uphold the deity of Christ are found primarily in the New Testament. And these two subjects, the the Trinity and the deity of Christ, are the main themes of our historic creeds. And once again, they have the nucleus in the Bible. So I think you're still in Matthew. Uh, So let's, let's turn ahead a few chapters up to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew 16. And we'll start reading in, uh, actually, yeah, we're going to read 13 through 16. When Jesus came into the, re- into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, 
Who do men say that I am? The son of, sorry, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Philip Schaff writes that this is the fundamental Christian confession, and it is the rock upon which the church was built. And we can see that if we were to continue on. It was after the statement of belief that Christ declares his church. Well, there's also the confession of Thomas. We talked about Thomas a few uh, weeks ago when I gave the community meditation on doubting Thomas. Let me just read that. This comes out of John chapter 20. Then he, Jesus, said to Thomas, Reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Tom, Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Interestingly, from doubting Thomas, we get the strongest apostolic confession directly ascribing to, to Jesus as being God and him as a personal God, my Lord and my God. So we shouldn't doubt the way that Thomas doubted, but we should believe the way that Thomas believed and we should confess the way that he confessed. Okay, one more. I'm still in Matthew. Let's go to the end of the book in chapter 28. And we'll read 18 through 20. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, this is the baptismal formula. Baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Interesting thing. Every church that I've been to that would uphold no creed but Christ says this creed whenever they baptize people. And I'm very thankful for that. Um, and they do it publicly. There is a, there is a public confession of, of faith. And why is that? Why is there this confession in front of men? Let's go back to where we started. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 10. And let's look at verse 32. Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Look at this. It says, whoever confesses me, so we must confess Christ before men. 
we must confess publicly. Him I will also confess before my Father. What a glorious command this is. Confess me before men so that I can confess you before the Father. And that's what he does. Now, some people will say that confessions are for salvation, and they are. We saw the one with Thomas is a confession of salvation, and there are others as well. I didn't, haven't gone through all of them. But not all of the confessions are about salvation. The Shema was not. That was done many times. It was done often. Also, Christ did that himself. This one, the context of this passage is people confessing Christ in the marketplace, in evangelism, proclaiming the kingdom of heaven in areas of conflict, daily life, more than once. So, when you run across the phrase, no creed but Christ, I hope you will find some common beliefs about the simplicity, superiority, and the sufficiency of Christ. That's in there. But we have seen that the creeds of Christianity are actually biblical, and that is our authority. We must go to the Bible, and I hope that you have some confidence that creeds are commanded from the Bible. Let's pray. Our Father, our Teacher, we are so blessed that you give us faith and truth in Christ that we can answer back to you. Keep us rooted in your word, the only rule to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy you. Help us to uphold the simplicity, sufficiency, and the superiority of your Son, Jesus Christ. And help us to be faithful to confess you before men. In Jesus' name, amen.